So I learned of a story that really happened. I mean, this is, this is, this is real. So for those of you who don't like fake pastor stories, this, this is one of those moments. This is real, all right? Uh, two people, Liz and Bill. They decided to do an experiment. The experiment went this way, or at least this long. It, it was every day, 12 to 13 hours a day, just multiple days in a row. And they took a sign that said, talk to me. That's all it said. And they just stood out on the street. Now, some of you would be immediately skeptical. You'd be like, what are you selling? Or flat out, just you just want free money. What do you, what do you want, right? Or some of you are like, that's just weird, and, and the world is full of weirdos, and so you just you, you pretend like you never even saw them. Well, what's interesting about this is, so they have this sign, talk to me, and people began to talk to them. They drafted the different experiences they had. One was a guy that just walked up to him, and he had uh, been dating a girl for six weeks. It did not work out, and then he found out she was engaged. And I find it interesting, maybe you do too, that all of a sudden he's talking to some complete strangers saying, hey, guess what happened to me? Some of you don't think that's weird. Most of us do. Most of us think that's, a little, that's, that's pretty personal. Another story is a mom went up to them and just was talking to them and began to unfold the story of that day her son had been hit in school by a teacher. Just divulging this on the street, talking, having these conversations. There was other stories of of a tax consultant just decided to talk to them about taxes. They, They wrote like they didn't understand most of it, but he was having fun talking about his job. The the story that I read that resonated with me the most is what I want to share with you because it really just, I think, gives insight to you and I. A guy came up to him about 10 p.m. at night. They're out there, and I would imagine near the end of their day that they're going to be holding this sign that says, talk to me. He talks to them and begins to unfold his life. Talks to them, ending up for three hours. Three, and some of you are already like, okay, well, was he, was he okay? Was he drunk? What, what was the conversation? Actually, he began to unfold about his hurt and pain from the relationship he had with his ex-wife and just wanted to share it. Then he began to even go even further about there was a moment in his life that he tried to commit suicide. Here's what messed with me the most. At the end of the conversation, around 1 a.m., they obviously decide, hey, it's time to end the conversation. Let's part ways and go. And the guy pulls out $100 and offers it to him and says, thanks for talking to me. They refused the $100. But what kicked me was that um, a gentleman was so lonely, maybe even isolated, that he would have landed on, I am so grateful for this conversation. I'm going to give you $100. And what I have learned is this. The majority of us, some of you will not like that, the majority of us are in desperate need of a good conversation. Like desperate. Some of you, you're married, and you think that you're the only one that knows that you need a good conversation. Some of you, you have no friends. You wish you had a conversation. Some of you have friends that aren't actually friends, but you think they're friends. Some of you think that Facebook is real, and all of those conversations are legit. So 
we all have, I think, a, a, let's just say a misperception of true friendship, and I would say there's a deficiency. And I would tell you, bottom line, uh, friendships are powerful. If conversations are powerful, I would say even more so friendships are powerful. Friendships have distinct power in them to, to direct your life, to refuel you. And for those of you thinking, wait a minute, I thought I was in church and we were going to talk about God and the Bible. Let me enlighten you, if you don't know. Throughout the entire Bible, there are story after story after story after story of not just relationships, but friendships and how to have them. And you and I are not as uh, great at friendship. So here's what I'd like to do. Listen very closely. I would like the privilege of proving to you that you need friends. If you're anything like me, you're competitive. You're like, you say what? I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to you that you need friendships. See, some of you are like, no, I am from South Dakota. I am independent. I need no one but my dog, and I'm good. I'm telling you need it, and I can prove it to you. But we need to take a certain journey on this. I'll start with God. God is well aware of our need for friendships. He's not taken off like, where, like oh, really? No, no, he made you and I to actually need friends. You, you need them, I need them. It's not a personality-driven thing where certain people need them and certain people are just more intelligent and don't need them. It's not that way. We all are born with a need for community, for friendships, but we don't all have them. And God says, I know, I, I know you need them. In fact, let me show you in the Bible where there's even proof. Two people are better off than one. Now, not all of us did well with math in school, so let me meet everyone where we're all at, okay? If you're like, what does two people are better off than one mean? It means one's not good enough, okay? One person in life by yourself, independent, where you need no one or have no connection, that's not good. Two are better than one. To help you even more with math, two is more than one. Okay, just making sure you're listening. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. This is a bit of evidence that, that you and I need help. You and I need help succeeding. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And many of us have had those experiences, haven't we? Where you have fallen down, not literally, but emotionally. And no one was there to lift you up. And in fact, some of us have examples of where people kicked you while you were down. God is helping us understand that other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, now you're, I know I, I'm going to pick on social media a little bit. By the way, social media, for those of you who like to mistake what, or misinterpret what I say, is not bad. It is not evil, okay? But some of us have misinterpreted that social media is your new friend, and it's legit, and it's good. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's not bad, but it's not a replacement, okay? <laughs> there, there's even proof now, if you, if you need more proof than me just saying it. I can tell you God knows you need friends. And, but social media has been a proven avenue to that if you are dependent on, let's just pick on Facebook, if you're dependent on that, it's proven that your self-esteem is actually, is actually going to go down. Some of the most recent studies have proven even in teenagers' lives that their view of social media becomes a comparison mechanism, not a friendship mechanism, a comparison one, one where, where they look at it and watch it and they feel like that's real. They interpret it, as, by the way, as real. And then they begin this compare and, and their self-esteem, their isolation, it all begins to go into dangerous places. And in fact, I would say that goes even to adults. 
Social media is not bad unless you think that's where all friendships are existing and beginning. And I would tell you that it's, it's been proven to not be the place we land. In fact, one of the researchers and some of the stuff I read as recently as March and April said, well, well, I'll just give you his exact conclusion because, well, you just need to hear it. What people really need, you might want to write this down, is real friendships and real interactions. Real, like, like the computers, and they can't replace what's real. But the reality is, as many of us are living in poverty. Let me explain. You're well aware of material poverty. Uh, where people don't have the basic necessities of life. They don't have the clothing they need or the shelter that they need or the water that they need. It's material poverty. It's poverty where each day they are desperate just to be able to live through the day, right? Most of us, almost every one of us is well aware of that. There's also spiritual poverty where your soul is longing for, even some would call it the meaning of life. I would tell you longing to have a relationship with God longing for it and if you've ever walked away from God and there's this eventual moment you end up like I feel like I'm desperate I feel like I'm empty and that's called spiritual poverty when you are not connected to your creator God but what we never talk about and I find this fascinating is we don't talk about relational poverty it's a real thing if you were to nerd out and get into all of the psychiatry, psychology kind of stuff, you're going to learn about relational poverty where you find yourself in complete isolation, if not physically, emotionally, where you see people all around, you work with them, you go to school with them, you live with them. But internally, you're experiencing what's called relational poverty where you are not close to anyone, you're not able to be open with anyone. This is a dangerous place to be. In fact, if you've ever had a friend or a family member end their life, oftentimes in those incredibly sad letters that are left, you learn about a relational poverty moment, and it's not good. And what I will tell you is this. God is well aware of our need for friendship. It's in the Bible all over the place, but, but we need to go further. We must be, we must be aware. We must be aware of our need for friendship. And what I find fascinating is I can talk to uh, elementary students, and they're like, yeah. Talk to teenagers, like, you better believe it, right? And they'll be pointing to their, their friends that are awesome and the ones that they hate, that they don't talk to anymore, and they get this, like, yeah. But when you and I kind of grow up, as we say, we're like, I don't, I don't have any friends anymore. And sometimes you even wonder, I wish I had friends like I used to have at whatever stage that landed, for college or high school or middle school, or maybe for you it goes all the way back to when you were four. I don't know. But I'm telling you, you and I crave friendship. And so here's what we're going to do, because God laid this on our heart. I don't think, in general, that we're very good at friendships. I think we've lost the art of good friendships, and many of us have become isolated or dependent on just maybe one. You're like, I got one friend, and I got to tell you, that's not enough. You need more than one. In fact, statistically, uh, if you like that, the average American has two friends, two close friends. Some of you are like, well, that's not bad. 
Well, what you don't know is averages are usually liars. <laughs> Averaging are usually you take the worst and the best, and you're like, hey, this is what happens, and that's not really what happens, because there ends up being a greater disparity. Here's the truth is, 25% of Americans polled said they had no friends whatsoever. One out of four. Zero. And I wonder if some maybe even said they did just because they would have felt bad by putting zero. You and I are in desperate need of good, solid relationships. The Bible says, God says, uh, theory says, psychologists say it. So if you're willing to say, all right, David, I need friends. I mean, but sometimes it's so general. I'll go get some somewhere. (laughs) And not all this. Can we just admit this? We're not all really good at picking friends. Some of us are worse than others, but let's just say that uh, all in all, we're, like, we're not always good at picking them, especially as adults, and, and, and if you ever want to train up a, a child and like, teach them the friends they should have in your life, please take notes. If you're an adult who doesn't have friends, please take notes. I'm telling you, there are actually distinct friends that you should have in your life, according to the Bible. According to, actually, our Creator. It's in the Bible all over the place, and I want to share them with you. There's four distinct ones, four different ones. For those of you who are going to interpret it like, I need to find the perfect person, we'll deal with that later. But listen, no, no, these are four different, four different. You got that? Four different. Because I'm like, that's, I'm, I'm describing a superhuman. No, no, I'm going to tell you four different. Here, here's the first one. You need a, a corner man in your life. Now, now, if you're not familiar with, with a corner man, it's a boxing term. You're like, who's the corner man? It's the person in the corner. You're welcome. For, no one's writing that down either. Okay. <laughs> if you've ever seen any of the Rockies, you know in those movies, the corner man, the guy who's yelling out to the person that is actually boxing, what to do, but it's more encouragement. You can do it or remember this and is reminding and speaking life. And then, and then it, when the round is over, it goes and sits down and that corner man often helps deal with the swelling on the person's face and, and the blood and gets the, gets the blood wiped away and sometimes even gives them water. And the corner man is this instrumental person that is there to encourage and speak life into them. You and I need a friend like that. Now, like I told you, I'm going to stay consistent because I believe God taught us all of this. Let me show you what the Bible says about the corner man. So encourage each other. Can you imagine how different the world would be if we just took that part. So you're telling me that during my day, I'm supposed to encourage people. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. There's other places in the Bible that you need to see. A friend is always loyal. I think we have a loyalty deficiency in our culture. Where someone legitimately does you wrong. And I'd say nowadays it's like where we just forget them. They're done. Oftentimes the greatest friendships are the ones who have loyalty in them. Where someone has done something wrong and they have figured out how to restore the relationship. The Bible helps us understand that you and I need a corner man, a corner man that helps you avoid some of the punches in life. What if you had that person where some of the hurts and the pains in your life that you've experienced that you didn't have to experience? If you had a good corner man, they could have said, hey, you should not go to that thing. But you didn't have a good corner man and you went to it. And you knew you shouldn't, but you did. And 
now you have this wounding that you don't know what to do about. Maybe you got into a situation that you shouldn't have been. You didn't have a good corn man that could have helped you deal with that. Or maybe, maybe you experienced a broken heart that you never had to. It's not that God said, I want you to experience a broken heart. It's that you and I often don't have a corner man in our life to just encourage us. How about the moment that you did make a choice you never should have made? You ever have that friend who's just saying, hey, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to really make, you, make sure you know what you did was wrong. I just, How are you doing? I just want you to know you're still an awesome person. You and I need a corner man. Someone who will speak life, who will help you get bandaged up in those moments you need it, but will also make sure that you know who you are and you're an awesome person. You need a corner man. Do you have one? I, I just want you thinking, do you have that corner man? Some of you do. Some of you are desperate for one. And if you're like, man, I don't have anybody like that in my life. I don't have a corner man, David. Okay. I can't make you go get one right now. But what I can encourage you to is to be a good corner man yourself. If you don't have one, all right, maybe you do legitimately have just all jerks living around you, working with you, everywhere around you, okay, okay. You can be a good corner man. And what I've learned is if you become a good corner man, you often find others around you who can do the same. That's not the last one. I told you there's four. Here's another one. You need a blacksmith in your life. Now, <clears throat> some of you, you're not going to like this. If, if you're not familiar with what a blacksmith is, it's an individual who heats up metal and pounds on it, and pounds on it, and gets, takes heat and hammer and just takes a piece of metal and makes it into a useful something, sometimes art, sometimes a horseshoe, just something that's useful, sometimes beautiful. That's what a blacksmith does. Do you have a person in your life that brings the heat and the hammer? Some of you are like, yeah, and I hate their guts. <laughs> listen, listen, don't, don't forget what the, the purpose of a blacksmith is not to destroy the metal. Don't, don't miss this. I intentionally picked blacksmith because their intent is to take that metal and make more out of it. Make something profound, useful, great out of it. Do you have a person in your life that brings the heat and the hammer to make sure you become all that you should become? Most of us don't have a blacksmith in our life, and it's our fault that we don't have them. Here's what I've learned. There is a shaping. There is a shaping to our character that only friendship can provide. Some of us are still depending on family members to speak that kind of harsh truth into our lives, and your family members are afraid of how you react, so they're not going to tell you anything. They know if they bring up any politics around you, everything will blow up. They know if they deal with the truth with you, that it's not going to go well. See, most of us have to wrestle through, are we going to be defensive when someone brings the heat and the hammer? Now, remember, this is, this is all from God. Let me show you something that you're aware of, but I'll show you where it's from. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What I have learned is most of us don't have friends in our lives that sharpen us. They're like, no, we just like to hang out, which is good. Hanging out is good. But you need someone in your life to help you be sharp. And if you haven't caught on the whole power of iron sharpening iron, here's what you need to know about iron. <laughs> iron sharpening iron 
uh, is not a pain-free moment. If you ever watched a blacksmith, it's loud. And if that was you on the anvil, you'd be like, that would hurt. Heat and the hammer? This is why we're like, I don't want to be a part of that. In fact, we're like your self-esteem, you think, I can't handle that, but I'm going to tell you a blacksmith is necessary in your life. If you're interested, if you're like, I would like one. I want to become the person that God intended me to become. Two things will be required of you. First one is intentionality. Because if you're ever going to sit down with a blacksmith in your life, uh, just so you know what happens about mm, the day before, you're going to decide, I need to miss this moment. I, don't, I just want to cancel this. The kids need to be somewhere, and I need to figure out where they need to be somewhere that keeps me from going to this. Or I, <clears throat> I feel like a, a sore throat's coming on. I just can't make it. These are the kinds of meetings with that friend who wants the most out of you, who's going to speak truth. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to. you got to schedule it legitimately for some of you like I don't schedule anything you got to learn how to be intentional and when I say intentional it can be where you go to that person who is not that current person in your life and you invite them into your life say hey I pick you (laughs) to bring the heat and hammer into my life and that person will probably look at you and be like what in the world are you talking about and you'll have to reference the sermon and talk a little bit about that but you need it. It needs intentionality, but even more than intentionality, it needs vulnerability. Because if, if you bring lies and walls to a meeting with a blacksmith, it's a meaningless, purpose, purposeless time. Because that blacksmith will lean in, and you will lie or just not say what needs to be said. And it's a waste of time. You need a a blacksmith in your life to shape you, to form you. You need the people who will wipe the blood off and and give you water and say, you can do it, but you also need the person saying, you're not doing it. And I want to help you do it. Now, okay, let's turn, let's let's add the third one, the fun one. The court jester. The, The friend that just makes you laugh. See, here's what I found. A lot of us have a lot of these. You're like, mm, okay. See, some of you are thinking right now that person that makes you laugh, that person that when you're around them, you just have a great time, and it's, and it's a good time, and they just seem to make uh, good out of, out of nothing or even the worst situations. You know, again, if you're not familiar with your history, the court jester, their job was through acrobatic stuff or, or just doing magic tricks or telling jokes or, or just being silly to make people laugh. Did you know that that laughter is, is okay. Just by your faces, I wasn't sure if you knew. So I needed to tell you that laughing and joy and excitement in life is not something that God is like, well, that's okay, I guess. If you, no. In fact, in the Bible, it leans into you and I needing people in our life to help us laugh to help us see the funny moment in the situation, to actually have some sort of joy. Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Some of you don't need more drugs. You need to laugh. You need to learn that you can actually enjoy life. I've got friends in my life they'll make me laugh out of anything. I could be crying and somehow they'll be like, they'll tell me something and I'm like, you know, that's so non-PC, but I'm going to laugh my face off right now. And some of you have those friends who will help you find the humor in life because it's there. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit 
saps a person's strength. Perhaps you have no strength because you have no laughter in your life. And maybe you don't have laughter in your life because you don't have someone in your life helping you get there. Ecclesiastes says even more. There's a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. See, sometimes we behave like, like we're in the Footloose movie, and we're like, we're not allowed. No joy, no dancing, no nothing. We must be somber always. And that's not good. You need a friend that can help you laugh. What I would tell you, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, you can find them pretty easy. So let's, let's go to the last one. The consultant. Have you ever wished you knew which decision to make? Have you ever wished you're like, I mean, do I, do I sell this? Do I buy that? Do, do I go there? Do I enroll in there? Do I, what do I do with this? I'm not sure how to parent this child. I don't, what am I doing about my marriage? And, and, and you're seeking, seeking wisdom. You're seeking, like, I want to know what to do, how to do it, and I'm not sure. And, and, and can we just say that, that all of us have blind spots in our lives where you need that consultant that can come in and say, hey, you know, here's what I would do. Here's my wisdom to offer you. Many of us do not have good consultants in our life. You're relying on other friends, maybe the court jester, to give you wisdom, and you need to stop it. And the Bible, again, gets at the need for advice. People who despise advice are asking for trouble. I would say, have no friends. People who despise advice are asking for trouble. Those who respect a command will succeed. The instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. You need a consultant, someone, if you don't know the consulting world, that, that knows that part of life. Most of us take our taxes to someone who knows what they're doing. Most of athletes who are trying to go to the next level go to someone who knows what they're doing to help them become that great athlete. You need a consultant in your life, someone that when you're processing, you're not processing alone. No one should do life alone. You need these four different ones in your life, all four. You need all four. And some of you are like, I married them. So are you excited like you married? And, you, and you're, you're sitting there, you're so ecstatic right now because you married the person. Do you know your spouse is like, I did not marry them at all. I, that's, I married someone who's got one of those. And they need to stop making me laugh all the time. If you're single and you're, and you're, you're just starting life out in a way that you're making new friends, new job, new school, whatever, you need to know that there is no person that can land on being all of that. If you've got a friend that you're demanding all for to happen every day, you're going to lose that friend. The texts are not going to get returned. You're going to get denied or avoided. In fact, I, I really need to talk to married people for a moment, really directly. Some of you have taken your spouse and demanded that they be all for all of the time. If you're wondering if you're that person, it's why you, you used to say, I love everything about them. And then not long after, you begin to say, they always nag and point out what I don't do right. 
Some of you are pretending to not even hear what I'm saying because you're like, they'll see me acknowledge it. Some of you, you wish your spouse wouldn't always make laughter out of it. See, when you're demanding all of it on one person, that is unfair to that person. Let me help you flip it so you understand what I'm saying. Could you be all for all of the time? The answer is no. You can't, I can't be all for all at the same time. And it's time that you and I get more intentional, more vulnerable, begin to make more friends where we're actually not demanding that our spouse or our one friend is anything and everything to us all the time when that is, that's set up for failure. It's time that you and I get a lot more intentional. You might, you might be like, oh, uh, all right. <laughs> so I, ne- I need friends. I got that. And I need four different friends. Do I j- just go to Walmart and... <laughs> What, some of you are like, no, not Walmart, Target. You go to Target. And, and you're, that, you're, uh, you're like, where, where do I, how do I go do this? It's like, you, you reference what you used to do when you were a kid. At least this is what my kids have been doing. Uh, when they've grown up, I, but I look back at their elementary season, and there's something very specific that they've done, even as young, young, young kids. We, I would pick them up maybe from first grade or whatever. We'd get in the car, how was your day? And oftentimes in the description of how their day was, they would say, I asked so-and-so to be my friend. And as, a, as an adult, I'm like, what was the answer? What was the, I mean, like, are, is your heart broken right now? Or is it good? What was the answer? And I, at that age, it's almost always like, yes, I'll be your friend. Now, now, some of you are like, so the application of this sermon is to go find these four friends and to make formal invitations. Will you be my friend? Yes, no, maybe. No, no, no. But what I think you and I can learn in this is perhaps we as adults have lost the intentionality of making friends. Maybe it's not that you don't have good people around you. It's that you and I have just stopped being as intentional and we're going, yep, I got married and you stopped being a friend with anybody else. And now internally, like, I'm not supposed to be lonely because I'm married or or I moved to this new place. I'm young and single and I, I, I shouldn't be lonely. You and I need to be intentional about this. So what I would advise you to do based on what I learned on what Jesus did. So if you don't know about Jesus, when he started making friends, he went and specifically asked them. and said, hey, why don't you come, come with me? I mean, he had, if you don't know this about Jesus, hundreds of people followed him all the time. Some of you think that'd be cool. I don't think so much. No, no. Followed him all the time. But he went and intentionally got 12 friends out of that group. And then if you even study more, he leaned in very intimately, specifically, and really shared things with three of them. So what I would tell you is that if you want the healthy friendships that you crave, it's time to be intentional. Maybe it is you go to that one person that you know about and you say, hey, will you be the blacksmith in my life? I mean, you will have to describe this. But will you bring the heat and the hammer? Will you, will you help me be honest about the blind spots in my life? Can we get down regularly where maybe we go, we go coffee twice a year? And you say, can, can we just have a conversation where I let you speak into my life without defensiveness? Maybe that's what you need. 
Maybe it's on the flip where you thank the friend in your life that helps you laugh. Or maybe when you have a problem and you don't know what to do, you don't guess at what to do. You ask a friend and say, I need wisdom here. And it's going to be really insecure for me to talk to you about the parenting problems we're having or really insecure for me to talk to you about the marriage issues or my work issues, but I need some wisdom. So can I be very vulnerable with you and you speak into my, I need, I need some processing and wisdom. You got to be intentional and vulnerable. But what I would tell you, God says you need friends. Psychologists say you need friends. And I would say your own soul, heart, and mind, all of you says you need friends. It's time that we get more intentional about it. In fact, I would argue this all day long. I think that you and I are called, created, be in friendship. I hope you'll take the effort to do that. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for how practical your Bible is. Thank you for the words, the wisdom, the, the openness that is just inside your word. God, help us, help us to make friends. Help us to actually reach out. Because God, I don't think it's the easiest thing to do. I, I don't think it's easy to have great friends. God, I pray for those right now who are specifically uh, lonely, isolated. Would you in a fresh, renewed way remind them that you are with them? You are not far from them and that you love them. But God, I also know that it's your heart and I ask that you help them know that they need people around them so they can be who you designed them to be. God, I pray that you'll provide them and help us all to be open to it. I just, God, want to ask that you would help us make friends and help us be good friends. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who gave us a great example. Amen.